As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? mad? Okay. Hello, Lisa. What's up? Hi, Jake. Uh, nothing much, man. Brain drained. How about you? How's it going? Um, pretty similar. I'm really out of it. I'm like, uh, kind of getting stressed out about this tour because it's coming up like in a couple weeks and I, I don't know, been doing like, I've been trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I think the answer is always a mix of playing the hits and then like trying to write some new stuff and like so i'm like i don't know going to open mics and stuff and just they f- they're weird and they're weirding me out but they're kind of fun and i'm like trying to get i don't know i somehow gained 10 pounds recently i'm not really sure how i did it so i'm just like <laughs> trying to stop doing dumb shit yeah being lazy and unhealthy so i'm in a weird space i'm just chilling I don't me know. Dude, me too. Um, wait, I was going to ask you something about, uh, fuck, before you made me laugh about the 10 pounds. Uh, I fucking <laughs> forgot. Anyway, uh, oh yeah, the tour, the tour. You said you were going on tour and it's stressing you out. Ah, whatever, forget it. Go on. Uh, well, anyway, I guess similar. Um, I've also had kind of like a stressful work time i don't know and then i did several podcasts where i talked to people about like personal shit and um i kind of was reminded of something that i think i've talked to you about but like uh i had like a huge depression in 2018 right i've talked about that yeah i think so right and it was like probably the worst since i was like a teenager ever and uh, it was like the reason I ended up going and getting medication and everything. But it was funny because, or <laughs> I guess not funny, but it, after getting medicated uh, and everything, I realized um, that what kind of like led to my depression. Oh, and I'm reading uh, Colin Ty's biography, autobiography right now. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. So this is kind of like related to some of what she talks about, which is that, um, you know, because I set out to like never define myself through these traditional frameworks of what being a woman was supposed to be, it meant necessarily that I needed to be um, financially independent, right? Uh-huh. Under capitalism. So like some people would look at me and be like, oh, I'm an overachiever and a straight A student and whatever the fuck. But I was like doing acid <laughs> the whole time I was in high school. <laughs> you know, I was like... I took my SATs tripping, dude. I did like crazy shit. Okay. And then, yeah, I went and I got five degrees and I got promoted in a lot of jobs and I have a lot of work experience. But all of this was never, you know, we've talked about how it was never about how like I wanted to be a thing or have a title or like have power over people or like nothing. I didn't really ever have any fucking goal in a career. Uh, and I certainly did not have a goal in entertainment related careers. Um, but what I guess I realized around 2019 when I started to get better is that my work was the central, most important thing to me in my life, not in and of itself, but because in capitalism, my work was the key to my freedom. 
You get me? Yeah. And uh, in 2018, I found myself like 10 years into my career that I fucking got into a great amount of debt into to get because, you know, and it's really fucked up. I'm not even going to digress, but it's fucked up that I had to get a bunch of degrees to get in the door in museums that uh, a bunch of fucking kids. I ended up working with a bunch of rich kids whose parents got them the job or who were there because they could do a bunch of internships forever because they never had to pay rent <laughs> or right. like, you know, so uh, or even like I met kids who like did like young curators programs. And so they were like on the track to be whatever the fuck since they were 15. And I'm like, what Ugh. are you talking about? This is insane. I am two hundred thousand dollars in debt. You understand that, right? Yeah. Okay, right. So in 2018, I find myself 10 years into my career. I've been promoted several times. I've achieved some great things. And I still lived paycheck to paycheck, Jake, and I still couldn't pay my student loans. And like, I don't want to anyway, but I couldn't <laughs> even if I wanted to. And uh, shit was like not getting better. You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't foresee, foresee like, I started to feel like all my choices and all my sacrifices were bad and wrong, <laughs> you know, and like, it was really bad. And it was what sent me down a spiral of like, holy shit, <laughs> my whole like meaning of life, I guess, isn't there. Um, and so it's been weird to since then realize what's important to me about work. It's been both empowering because it's like made me uh, sure of the fact that I don't want all the jobs I've said no to in comedy because I'm never going to be that networker, like kiss people's ass and be the one. I'm never going to be fucking... Uh, what's his name? Who I hate? Louis C.K.'s manager. Oh, Dave Becky. Dave Becky. Thank you. Don't forget Dave Becky. Sucks. <laughs> so I'm never going to be that guy. You know what I mean? So I look for ways in which I will be financially successful and independent on my own in a way that doesn't compromise me, that isn't, uh, doesn't compromise my ideals. And um, I just had a tough day at work today. <laughs> and it was like a reminder of how that can get to me, right? And it's not in this way of like, oh, I want to be the best at my job or I need a promotion or I need another another raise or some shit like that. It's just that it is literally um, life-threatening to me to not feel like I'm doing well at work. Yeah. Because I don't have a safety net. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't have any kind of safety net, not... Uh, partner that I split my rent with not a family that has money that I can go move in with um, none of it <laughs> you know what I mean yeah so uh, reading colon tie why did I get into this because of the our work stresses right so I guess it's important my whole point my long around way of saying this is that when we get stressed about work <laughs> we have to stop and think about why we're doing it and why it matters and like are you stressed by something that is externally put on you or something that you are choosing to pick up because it is important to a goal that you want to achieve? And I don't know. What do you think about that in terms of like how you feel about the things stressing you out about the tour and stuff? Oh man, that's so much. It's good though. It's like, I'm kind of in the same space where I'm evaluating all this stuff because like, I think I'm getting like 
really weird and midlife crisisy and bummed out about like comedy and stuff because if you continue yeah. to do comedy it's like um you know in Degrassi how there's just like new uh classes of characters that just keep popping up like over and over and over again until eventually the old characters are gone and stuff it's weird you just see like new generations of people kind of filtering through the thing and like you start to feel like the old guy hanging out at the high school or something like that or like yeah. thinking about every single one of my friends that has quit you know or gone on and done something better which like i kind of haven't and stuff which i know is you know on principle to some degree but like it's still better in what way oh you mean like uh more like up the ladder yeah like up the ladder like turn it into a yeah, job okay. or whatever and like yeah. uh I don't know. I mean, part of me is like thinking about, um, I think when I get back from this tour, I might start bartending again because like I lived paycheck to paycheck for my entire life and was in debt like crazy, like overdrafting while paying rent and shit like that for like months yeah. at a time and stuff. And the bump that I got from the unemployment during the pandemic and also from like the Patreon and stuff put me into a situation I had never been in my life. And I also like I'm watching a lot of people I know, like just spend that money. And then just like, you'll just yeah. run into them at a bar and they're like, yeah, I just, you know, ran out of it. And that's like funny to them. And I'm like, I, <laughs> this is, I got to do something different because I think I'm watching a person who either isn't living as precariously as me, like has like a lot of outs like you're talking about that we don't have yeah. or is like just is an idiot and just blew it. And is just sitting there going like, well, I don't know how else to live, so I guess I just spent all my money and then I end up broke and go away tables again or whatever. But, like, there's also this stuff where, like, I just the older you get, the more all of the social, like, pressures and taboos and stigmas and stuff like that weigh on you regarding, you know, like, relationships like we always talk about, but also, like like your career and stuff and like it just becomes weirder and weirder that you're doing like work that people think of as being you know for people that are under 30 and when you're over 30 you have a career and stuff and like intellectually yeah. i know like well i have a career actually pr on paper pretty good you know and like i it's it's split and i like i'm doing the thing a lot of millennials do where you have like you know your career is kind of a thing that you you, you, it's freelancey, so you have to have this like underlying like work that you do on the side that pays the bills while you just like yeah, admin, yeah, yeah, while you work on your book or whatever the fuck. But like, uh, mm. all right, also the admin stuff too. I mean, it's just yeah. this, like whole fucking thing. But like, I don't know, man. I've just been getting like really gloomy and doomy about it lately, and like. I go back and forth. Sometimes I feel great about it, but when I feel great, it's like an existential, like everything's meaningless, but it's fine sort of feeling. And like when yeah. I get depressed about this stuff, it's because I'm like thinking it all out to the end of the like story, which is also, I mean, philosophically, if you do that, you shouldn't do that because you, you'll just be thinking about death all day and then you like waste your fucking life. Right. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know, man. Did you, did you see the Bloomberg article? I think today there was like, uh, uh, economists say millennials should have actually bought a house right after the 2008 bust. <laughs> yeah, what do you mean? When I was like 23 or whatever? <laughs> oh, shit. That is so funny to me. Jake, I was 27. And you know where I worked? Fucking Urban Outfitters. Get the fuck out of here. How was I supposed to buy a fucking house? Oh, my God. I, that's why I'm like, I'm not a millennial, right? They're not talking to me. I don't. I, I just don't understand. But um, you know what's funny, actually, when you were talking... Um, I don't suppose you've seen it and I don't recommend it, but I like this Amanda Seyfried actress. 
So um, I decided to watch the Elizabeth Holmes documentary on, it's like a documentary series on Hulu. Uh And what's interesting about that and related to this is that, so this little freak, (laughs) she like, you know, I mean, I know this is dramatized or whatever, but for the purposes of this conversation, let's just take it at face value, which is, you know, they show that she, um, at a young age, like a teenager, she uh, decided that she wanted to be like a, a Bill Gates or like a Steve Jobs, right? And to her, this meant like being a CEO of a company and make and like inventing a great important thing and yeah. being famous and rich because of it. So she had these people as her role model, and then. Fast forward, she fucking starts this company, right? That is supposed to be a biomedical engineering firm or whatever the fuck that's inventing a machine. And the machine that they're inventing that they got capital for, it's not working, Jake, right? And so they keep, she keeps going out and getting more money from other people, right? And every time she gets more money from other people, they require like proof of concept, (laughs) you know, like, let me see where this is going. So they start like falsifying some of the proofs in order to get more money so that they keep researching to try to fix the fact that it doesn't work. Yeah. Or the story. (laughs) Yeah. So at one point, yeah. So at one point, the research, the head of research, the scientist, right. The science part of this firm. And the thing that uh, was illegal that she did apparently, I mean, besides like, I guess, please, a bunch of people for money is that she put her name on the patents for the actual like science work (laughs) that they were doing, but she was not a scientific contributor you get me she was a business person so she uh the science research guy finds out about the falsified uh results and shit and he confronts her and he's like you know like why would you do this and she flips out and she's like don't you understand that i i have to keep getting money so that you can keep doing the research right so like think about how crazy that statement is jake if you like (laughs) stand back from it because you know, regardless if she said it or not, because I think it just illustrates something, is that there are people who think of the world or their job in the world as like it is um, the purpose of the job is in and of itself. <laughs> you know what I mean? So she really believed or like the version that is being presented to us is that she would be like a person like a Steve Jobs, honestly, who believed in the idea that uh, if you just keep doing the job of getting money and getting more people to believe in you and aggrandizing your own, like the scale of people's expectations. You don't really have to produce results right now. It's about the fact that you have to keep that system going, right? She has all these people that she's employed and all these people depend on the fact that she needs more money so she could keep the fucking um, company going. But the science guy is like, no, <laughs> like the point is not for me to keep doing research. The point is for the thing to work. And if it yeah. doesn't work, we like can't tell people it doesn't fucking work. You know what I mean? So that's what I guess like sometimes I see with comics and I definitely don't mean you, but I mean like the ones that are like who see the job of being a comic, you know, okay, okay. This might be a way a good way to put it. Uh, yeah, like one of the things that I disagree with you on is when you say that like being a comic is not real work because I do think it is real work and it is a job, but I also get what you mean, which I think is this, which is that there are comics who treat their job as though it is like 
working in a marketing office and you just got to have lunch with the right people and find the person who hooks you up with the copies and then the, the fucking chicken down in reception who'll do all your work for you. And then that's how you get promoted. And eventually you get the corner off. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's how they think of a job. And it, that is very weird when there's like a bunch of other people who are all on the other side being like, this is a, a thing I do because I love it because it's creative for me because I have things I want to say and I want people to hear them. And then in the middle, there's a group who's like, I agree with B, but I also am trying to make this be a job. So they are doing kind of that freelancer thing of like doing the admin and the work on the side to figure out whatever they have to do so that they can keep doing their stand-up thing, right? Yeah. Very few comics actually make a living strictly off of just stand-up. And so I I I mean, tell me what you think about this, but I think I agree with you that that A group is the ones that I, I just don't think it's a job in that way where like if you think it's the kind of job where it's like you just clock in and you put in enough hours and you network with the right people and to get an elevator pitch prepped, <laughs> you know, like you suck. That sucks. I don't, this isn't a real job like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But look at what we're saying, like real jobs suck, right? So I have a real job. So when I remember it, or when it frustrates me, I do have to think about why I'm doing it. And so I'm not frustrated by the minutia of my daily job because who gives a shit? I'm getting paid to do the fucking job I get paid to do. Yeah. But I get frustrated when I feel like job insecurity. You know what I mean? When I'm still freelance, for example, or like, you know, after a few years or things like that, or like when there's reorganizations of your company and you're unsure of what's going to happen and you could be fired or like, uh, what is it? Let go. What is, what is it called? Laid off. There we go. Yeah. Mm, so those are the things that stress me out about my dumb job. It's not that I actually think like it defines me and I fucking have to make sure that I hit all these marks within all these years of like I'm moving up and blah, blah, blah. That attitude is fucking stupid to have no matter what job you have. It's just kind of even stupider if your job is a comic. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's like, it's complicated. When I say that like yeah. comedian is not a real job, I'm usually kind of joking. But what I mean to say by joking, by making fun of it, is that like it's technically a job in the ways that many ridiculous things are jobs in capitalism. Yeah. But what I don't like about comedians who use, who say that is that usually what they're, the reason they're saying it as the pre is the pretense for an argument about why they should get to do it and not have to do something else, which is yeah, yeah. entitled. And it's yeah. always like a, you know, rationalizing thing of, of just wanting to, um, you know, to fit this into like this framework and like to frame, you know, these like I uh, jobs as like callings and stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah. Oh, conveniently my calling, what I'm supposed to be doing what God put me here to do is hang out in bars and get drunk with my friends. <laughs> You're supposed to be a mailman, but me, I do the <laughs> drunk bar thing. And it's like, that's not, no, fuck you. Like we should be yeah. united in a fucking fight against this entire system so that none of these things yeah. are jobs because it is absurd that capitalism is a thing in which someone is an Instagram influencer and another person is somewhat like a coal miner. And those, are yeah. both jobs like fuck this this is fucking stupid at this point right well it is it is weird to claim to be like a right to work libertarian when you do a job like comedian yeah right exactly yeah. and that's like yeah. kind of where these people are coming from and it's like you, you have a right to do a made-up 
thing. Yeah. No, you're looking at this entirely fucking And backwards. honestly, especially, like, I think it came up with the, uh, whatever, some shit with the rich comic that we talked about recently. But uh, I think it's funny because I think it's even less excusable if you do have options and you came for money. It is absolutely a choice and a hobby and a thing. Like, it's not a hardship. You chose to do this. It, it's an elective know, job is the thing yeah not all jobs are elective yeah exactly i mean exactly. i talked about that too a little bit recently but like yeah. the, there's a the fucking difference there and it like yeah people like to uh smudge that over and like kind of conv- be someone with an elected elective job but cast themselves in arguments as someone who's like doing it you yeah. know the way that you most people work at their jobs which is you fucking have to right and yeah. it's just a confusing it's confusing because it's like um i mean i'm trying to like reach for fucking you know socioeconomic sociological terms that like make this more clear but like it's, it's almost like um people portraying themselves as proletarian workers yeah. when they're actually like professional and cushy and like comfortable well so. well but it goes it works the other way too because so i think what it is is that um we have to kind of talk about the fact that like the place that we occupy is not on its own doesn't on its own make us all equal how you got there also matters right because, you know, I mentioned before in the museums thing, like, I literally fucking killed myself, Jake, to get into museum work. And um, I got into a world where then I was, you know, like my peer, my direct peer would be a person who uh, had maybe a bachelor's degree yeah. only, right? No offense to anyone. You know, I'm just saying, compare the situation here. <laughs> um, getting paid more than me. Uh, their husband was like a Goldman Sachs type dude, right? So the job, um, for her is an elective. Her mother is on the board of other cultural organizations, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, in, I knew multiple, multiple people like these, right? But in one case, I'm thinking of one who just like, um, her husband bought a house in, out in Nassau or some shit. So they decided that she would only come into the office twice a week. So she just only came into the office twice a week while everybody else doesn't, you know, even like, why, why would we even assume that we could do that? (laughs) Uh, And then um, they would, you know, take uh, hiatuses. They would just be able to just be like, I'm going to Europe for eight months. Hold my job. I'll be back. (laughs) Um, And so sure, maybe they were getting paid similar to me, but that was like, their allowance money yeah. for like shoes totally, <laughs> you know what i yeah. mean and like yeah and i'm like oh no i'm helping family members and i'm supposed to be paying these student loan bills and i'm paying for my survival in new york city yeah uh, yeah i felt like this in so many like career points in my yeah. life like i mean i literally like i my dad is the type of person who i mean not even he didn't have anything but he is also just like a fucking stupid immigrant texan person who is like when you have a kid and you have a son you just throw them into the world and you're like go fucking sign up with a bring your resume <laughs> to a place and get a job yeah. it's stupid so i didn't fucking have any entry point to any of this shit and i was literally just like a janitor and like a fucking dishwasher right. and all these menial jobs and slowly like 
worked my way up through restaurants by like fucking finagling people and sneaking beers to the right people and going, will you teach me to bar back this weekend yeah. so I can learn how to do that so that I can fucking bartend, which like bartender is like a menial job, but I had to like yeah. work for years to get that so that I could even fucking, you know, think about moving to a city like this. And when I did it, I just remember like, you know, the first fucking bar I walked into, I was like, all right, I got this crazy resume. I got references. They can call my old bosses and all this shit, you know, and I like got a job. And then I was talking to like the other bartender who was working there. And I was like, how'd you, uh, how long have you been working here? How'd you, how'd you get this job? And it was some chick who was like, oh, I lied. Like I just like faked a resume, got in or whatever, (laughs) or like, you know, or like, I don't know. I just, you know, I I know the other guy or whatever. And like, and it was the same thing where I've sometimes I'd be like, oh, these people's like, this is their spending money, whereas this is like yeah. my fucking livelihood. And like, yeah, I don't know, one time I was working at a place and it, they were just horrible to me. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I eventually asked some guy about it. And he was like, oh, they're hazing you. And I was like, hey, I'm going to die if I don't fucking get this paycheck. <laughs> hazing. What the fucking fratty yeah, fucking bullshit culture you have going on here where this is like a joke, whether or not people can pay their bills, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Maybe insane. Yeah, I got. I actually had a uh, a a museum. I mean, I don't even have to name it, but the smallest museum I worked on, so (laughs) worked at. Uh, They were having like money problems for a long time, being mismanaged, everything. And then they like had the balls to fucking one day on a Friday tell me Jake, or no, on a Thursday tell me that like payroll got fucked up. And so like if it was cool, they were just like not gonna pay us until like midweek the next week, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, that's not cool. <laughs> like I immediately and apparently almost everyone else in the museum except for me and like the security staff and the cleaning staff were like, no, <laughs> we're like, well, you can't do that uh, because we're the ones who are actually surviving off of this fucking job. Like it's fucking ridiculous. So, um, you know, it's part of like we've never talked about the PMC stuff and I don't know if I'm um theoretically prepared for it right now but it's one of the things that bugs me about uh some of the pmc discourse is that it assumes that everyone who occupies the space of middle management for example came to it from the same direction you know what i mean or in the same way yeah yeah and (laughs) in in reality that's not true for some of us you know like let's say me i guess i'm technically pmc right and yet I, to this day, am the one who has to, like, update my mom's resume so that she can send it to get jobs Yeah, be a housekeeper. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there is no, like, there was no class mobility here. <laughs> like, we're all still surviving at this middle thing. And if anything, all I do in my job as a, quote, boss is, like, defend the people that report to me from everyone above me. Right? Yeah. And so I'm like... It's fucking weird to not want more of management to be people who work their way up into it and know and respect the works, the work and the workers. And instead of like lumping them in with all of these like definitely shitty middle managers who like got in there through nepotism and fucking privilege and et cetera. Right. Yeah. So like there, I do think we just have to get figure out better language to distinguish, I guess, what we're trying to get at. Well, I mean, there's like a similar kind of fallacy at play here when we talk about POCs or when I talk about comedians or like when we talk about rich comedians, rich people and all this sort of stuff where it's like the, 
identifying you as a member of that class is not the critique. The critique is what you're doing with that position. With that class, you know, like yeah. when we talk about rich comics and stuff like that, I'm like, I was trying to reiterate. I have a lot of friends that are rich comics. They're I, they're my friend because they're technically class traders because yes. they're like. You know, working actively against and, yeah. the fucking fact that they have an advantage and stuff like that, or at least are like not, you know, use it, not trying to fucking sell me on this idea that we are on some equal footing, that we're in like a meritocracy or something like that. And, uh, like PMC stuff, I mean, the like, yeah, what P- I think what people mean to talk about when they critique that is like the culture of it and like the entitled way in which people in that class tend to cast themselves as like you know like a lot of those people are just like fucking stupid like technocratic liberals who loved pete Buttigieg and elizabeth warren and stuff like that and like called everyone racist and sexist it's like you you have to understand you're in the position of the people that are kind of oppressing people so like you can't cast yourself as someone who's being oppressed and yada 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 but uh I, i don't know no, for sure. And there's also the people, you know, I guess just applies to comics too. the people like or even the POC, let's say like uh, people of color when or immigrants, right? When you come to America and you become small business owners or cops or like whatever. These are things that um, they are doing. We are doing in a way that we are trying to like better our own life and uh, those of the lives of people around us and whatnot. And then there are some who are like happy to step into the role of power that some of those things would give them, right? So like they become like class traders in the other direction, <laughs> right? In the one that we don't like, yeah. Uh, where they become like a Ted Cruz, right? Right. And instead they pull the ladder up behind them and decide, oh, maybe this is a great way, a great time to switch over to Cosby, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, which is to say, I, I totally agree. I, I think there's definitely stuff to be discussed in the whole PMC discourse. It just needs more nuance, of course, but I guess that would be my critique to most everything. So, you know, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. Let's, Do you want to talk, talk about, about this Cosby thing? Yeah, I watched yeah. I watched all four, man. Um, Me too. It was, it was good. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. Um, it was, uh, I thought it was pretty fair and uh you know i don't know how else he could have made this but like i I guess you could have made a cosby documentary that was just like i'm so angry at this person fuck them and that wouldn't have been fair because like you're just acting like an amnesiac if you don't remember cosby being a very well-liked positive thing um i you know i i don't know i'm not treading any new ground but like when people talk about canceled artists and stuff it's often like i never liked their comedy and i never liked their music and like that's just a stupid way of looking at things to me cosby undeniably was one of the greatest comics of all time and also is a monster and uh so both of those things are true. And so I think the documentary did a pretty good job at looking at all of that. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I really thought um, Kamal did a great job, actually. Um, one of the things specifically was the fact that uh, he tackled head on the disparate ways that people experience Cosby. So like, you know, uh, he was something different, I think, to black audiences than he was to us. And then he was to white people. 
for me, because at the time that I came to the United States, um, the Cosby's was already in con, uh, what is it? Uh, fuck. You know what I mean? Uh, whatever. It was being played in reruns. Syndication. <laughs> syndication. There we go. Uh, I was playing, being played in syndication. So like I caught it sometimes, but I didn't really like grow up with it, you know? So I didn't actually grow up with Cosby. To me, Cosby was, uh, the guy in the Jello commercials. And then later, um, he was the guy that did those like shows with little kids where he asked little kids funny things and whatnot. Yeah. But what was like extremely impactful to me that came from Cosby was A Different World, uh, which A Different World. Uh, did you ever watch that or no? I'm familiar with it. I don't know if I really watched it. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I watched it when it was like new and it was like, oh, I loved it. And it was a spinoff. It was basically the first season was when uh, Lisa Bonet, whatever her name was on the show, she goes to college. So she goes to a historically black university, mm-hmm. uh, which was, I think it was supposed to be Spelman, but it had like a different name. I don't know. It was like a fake anyway. one, right? Yeah, it had like a fake name. Uh, but, uh, and then Sinbad was the uh, RA <laughs> in her fucking dorm. It's, uh, it was awesome, Jake. So, like, I did know Sinbad as a stand up, right? So that's when I'm coming in, sure. right? As a, as a little new American, I'm like, oh my God, Sinbad's in this show. And so, like, I watch it. And it is a awesome, like very black show about um, black colleges. Right. So for me, one of the first even like ways that I understood American college life turns out it was actually an HBCU experience. So I grew up being like, I want to go to a black college. Oh. But like I didn't realize <laughs> yeah, that it was like for black people. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, oh, shit. Maybe I could go. Um, but. Yeah, it was awesome. I fucking love that show. And then, like, I learned through that about Cosby. And I would watch the reruns of the other show and whatever. And then I learned he was a stand-up, right? Uh And so I, like, seen clips here and there. And I get his bit. I mostly have seen him as uh, someone that people do impressions of. Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. So I'm, like, late (laughs) in the game to it. And actually, because I'm a stand-up nerd... I have seen more Dick Gregory stand up than Cosby stand up. Hell right? yeah. Un- but, uh, underrated, lost yeah, history, dude. actual radical comedian. Exactly. And what's crazy here is that um, I had never really put Cosby and Dick Gregory on a timeline together to like understand their relationship to each other. Yeah. And that's what Kamau did in this, which was he clarified that like, uh, because I, in learning, like I'm in grad school and I'm like doing fucking history of stand up shit, and I'm learning that Dick Gregory was like, I believe, the first black man to do stand up on late night. And he, it's kind of surprising now, you would say that he was the first because he was radical, he was uh, an edgelord, <laughs> right? He was like, yeah. uh, he would be an angry black man on stage. Uh, And then what happened very quickly after he broke that glass ceiling is that Bill Cosby was like in the perfect place in time, like just accidentally in that, like the very moment that uh, Dick Gregory like proved, oh, shit, we can think black people are funny doing stand up, like not doing a caricature, but being themselves. Then the very quick next step for white network owners and shit was well, we could find a safe version of this, right? right? That we yeah. can show our families every night and it's fine and it's not going to like incite radicalism in them. 
And here comes Cosby and he's like college educated and well-spoken. And by well-spoken, I mean like in the traditional middle American kind of English. Right. And uh, he's handsome. I was like, wow, look at him. He's very handsome when he was young. And uh, he never curses and he comes out and he is a little bit cheeky, you know, but he doesn't like really fucking ever say anything even remotely blue too much. And he displaces Dick Gregory. Right. And you kind of like don't really think of it that way, but it is if you now think of it retrospectively, like uh, that was a time and it was for a long time after a time of like there can only be one. There can only be one famous black comic man and one famous woman comic who's probably a white lady. <laughs> right? And, only yeah. one. and I think uh, what this documentary showed me is it kind of like explained to me why Cosby then later became such a dick to younger black comics because I don't think that he like knew that he was displacing Dick Gregory. I don't think he intended to in any way. He was just like out there doing his thing, you know? Yeah. But he did realize that he was the one, like he was the one for a long time and that anyone else who came after him would displace him. You know what I mean? And so he did like not just pulling up the ladder behind him. He did the thing of like actively discouraging black comics, like calling them up to tell them how to behave and what to do and what not to say. And like, you know, make them feel bad, basically. Yeah. So Eddie then when you throw- a bit about that. I think prior yeah. also. Yeah, exactly. No. And then in Eddie Murphy's bit, he says that like, uh, you know, he calls him, he, t- he like, Tells him, like, you know, why are you talking about me or some shit? I don't know. And then uh, he calls Pryor at the end and he's like, can you believe that fucking Cosby said this and this and this to me? And he's like, and Pryor is just like, man, fuck him. <laughs> like, fuck Cosby. <laughs> so then, like, it's like a fun thing where they all hate Cosby. Yeah. But I think that um, Murphy was the first one to talk about it publicly. Yeah. And Somebody in the documentary uh, made me laugh and they were just like, how did he have everyone's phone number? yeah exactly no and can you imagine he's probably like calling his agent and being like give me give me this young comics number so that i could call him and yell at him like what the fuck so but when you think of it like that like it kind of um throws into question a lot of the other things he did right because so when i say he pulled the ladder up behind him I think a lot of people, maybe a lot of black people would even be like, wait, 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 that's not true. You know, he did the whole thing with like the black stuntmen, uh-huh. right? So you saw all of that where he started. I didn't know about that. That's I don't know about that cool. either. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, he uh, he definitely like in representation um, was in, um, including people and being like, you know, there's so many ways that it seems like he was not like pulling the ladder up behind him. But in when it comes to stand-up comedy, he absolutely 100% did. You cannot even name one comic that he ever held up or, like, said was good or fucking complimented or, like, anything. Not a single one. And, or, like, took out to open for him. I couldn't find a one, you know? Yeah. And um, the other thing that was interesting to me about this documentary, which connects to this, is that Kamau ended it with something really interesting, which was where... He was like, you know, you might ask yourself, like, uh, how could a person that makes good art do bad things, you know, or a guy that does good things also do bad stuff, right? (laughs) And then he was like, but instead, maybe we should be thinking about how sometimes bad people do good things to cover up 
the fact that they will do bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to me, this seems more of like all of his efforts, you know, giving money to black colleges, uh, like everything he did to seem like he was there for black people, but like as a group was meant to counteract or cover up the way he harmed black people individually. Yeah, it was to throw the scent off the trail. Yeah. You know, he did yeah. a lot of covering his own ass. I, when I watched this documentary, I like, was thinking about how I, I c- couldn't say for sure because I can't do this. I don't have a time machine, but I feel like I would like to think that if I was around in the early days, I like would have not trusted him because I don't trust nice guy comedians who are doing exactly what is being described here, which is like creating such an overwhelming brand of you cannot possibly question this person. They are so good hearted that like it leaves a lot of space for them to get away with stuff. I very much am like, I've always been like a type of person where I don't, I don't trust a comic unless they will talk a little bit of shit with me in the back of the room or something to show that they're like human. And the ones that don't do it, I'm like, I'm going to keep my eye on you because you yeah, yeah. won't let your guard down around me. And yeah. that means that you're up to something. And like, it, you know, it could ju- I mean, I'm not saying they're up to something as bad as Cosby, but it just means that they're being very careerist about stuff. And like that careerist nature is completely contradictory to what someone like Cosby says he's doing, which is, you know, a- as being like the centerpiece and the, the ambassador for a group of people supposedly doing all of this like moral uh, charity fucking, um, you know, what's the word like, altruistic work or whatever. And it's like this big contradiction yeah. that's at the center of what is a liberal person's career, I think. I, I'm kind of thinking about this for a couple of reasons. I, I, this Twitter thread happened yesterday, and it's like I, this happens all the time. It's like not really a new concept, but I notice it all the time. Mm-hmm. So it drives me up a wall. Which is someone who's like not quite in our world will ask very honestly, um, "Hey, you know, uh, leftist people or whatever, who are the leftist comedians, like famous ones? You know <laughs> what I mean?" And then you'll see the most deranged, insane responses where people are just trying to like imagine because they like someone that they must be a leftist. So like you get, you know, yeah. you get like people answering stuff like um like there are a few like I, I mean there are a few legitimately like somewhat successful comedians who y- you could you know mention like James Adomian and Judah Friedlander uh fucking Sarah Squirm is on Saturday Night Live now she's been involved in DSA stuff and left stuff but like people will start answering and they'll say like oh dude like Rogan you gotta listen to his show or whatever which like he's like the fucking fascist comedian right now and like um you know Norm McDonald is somebody who like <laughs> I've noticed people like cast this stuff on because like he was one of those guys when he died everyone just had to performatively grieve him but like if you actually follow comedy if you know comedy yeah. You know, Norm Macdonald was a like a Republican, like not like a fucking like you you could not make an argument. He was some kind of leftist. But I, I was watching people online claim that he was like doing dialectics and shit. It's just like this is a completely fucking made up mental funhouse that you've casted because you yeah. like someone's art. And that's why it's really important. And I think Cosby's a great fucking example of this to understand that someone's art being good is not an indicator. You can't reverse engineer the pleasure you get from consuming their art 
into a situation where because you already like them, they must have good politics. It's like very important to understand those two things are not correlated at all and they can be quite the fucking opposite. And that's why, yeah. you know, we're, I mean, we're, I don't know. I feel like the the whole like fascist thing is getting um, off the ground in the the right wing like media and comedy world because you've got guys like Tim Dillon that can charm someone with like comedic skills yep. and then present this like pseudo intellectual stuff that makes your brain spin a little bit while you're listening to it. Then the person afterwards, because we live in the <laughs> in this modern world where we're so inundated with media. And that's all the currency we have for anything. We have no political power. We kind of just assume that it has a lot of power and that it's really meaningful. These people then reverse, like, engineer the argument. And they go, well, he must be right about stuff. And also, if I think that he's right about stuff and I'm not a Republican, he must be a leftist. So you hear this, like, argument a lot of times. People comport all the way to the end and go, oh, come down. They're like a socialist podcast. Nick is a fucking libertarian. I've known him for a million years. <laughs> like, he's like a right-wing yeah. idiot. He associates with the guy on Skankfest who's going to be the next, like, re- libertarian party candidate. Or at least he's fucking trying. Um, the mental I never gym- did get why anybody thought they were leftists. It's because they're fucking they friends with Chapo Trap House. But you could be friends with somebody who I kind of, you know, disagrees with you. Although... That even is arguable whether that's true, <laughs> yeah. but uh, <laughs> but it's like an insane thing you can observe online. So like, how did I get back to Cosby from this? Um, so Co- Co- okay, so Cosby is interesting though because I was I was talking to this person and I was like telling him the responses to this are insane. I'm obsessed with this topic. I have a lot to say about this, and what you need to understand is that. Most of the answers you're going to get when you ask who are the famous leftist comedians, you're going to get examples of people who are famous but not leftist, definitely, which is most of the answers you're getting. Or you're going to get answers of people who are leftist but definitely not famous, which is like NATO Green or somebody like that or like somebody cool that we know, you know, somebody I would book on my fucking show, but they're doing a show in a bowling alley in New York. They're not on TV and stuff like that because – and the reason is – because specifically, fundamentally, you you actually, I think, can't be a Dick Gregory and be accepted into the system. The system specifically chose a Bill Cosby because he mm-hmm. functions in a certain way because he doesn't fucking challenge their ideas and he gives them yeah. sort of like a, you know, it's like a token situation. Like he gives them an, an out like now suddenly America is not racist. All these TV networks aren't racist because they celebrate yeah. this one guy who functions in a really specific way and that way... It's a comfortable, non-threatening version. Yeah, and what he's doing, what the person at the center of that does every time is like most liberal fucking comedians I know do this if you ask them about po- politics is mm-hmm. they say, well... What I'm doing is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on getting in first. That way, later on, I can then, you know, plant all the seeds that, and it's like, what? What do you mean? You're going to get a writing job on a TV show and make a joke about how racism's bad? That is yeah. not Dick Gregory shit. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's meaningless fucking gesturing while reinforcing the fucking system, right? But like, I think fucking Cosby's like a, a prime example of that. Like what he was doing the entire time was saying, Oh no, 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 you can't question me because I'm doing philanthropic work just by existing, you know? And like, clearly that person's soul was rotting like the entire time they were doing it. And that doesn't lead to an eventual outcome where racism is solved or they're a good person or fucking anything. What we we get is some cool art, you know, that kind of has abstract effects like, 
you know, like, I mean, it, it was, producing a different world. Yeah, like producing a different world <laughs> yeah. and people watching it and wanting to go to college and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, with all black people. <laughs> and then finding out and getting disappointed that I can't go to a historically black university. <laughs> one thing. <laughs> or they wouldn't give me any money, is the thing. <laughs> um, one thing that I kind of wanted to touch on while we're talking Cosby that was kind of interesting was that one person was, uh, they, they interviewed a couple of guys, like black dudes who talked about their like process of eventually coming to believe people. And that I thought this was, was interesting. Yeah. It was really interesting because I mean, that's like an honest story to tell. Most people will switch and then say, Oh no, no, I thought he was guilty yeah. the whole time. I always knew, you know, whatever. Or like, or like even when they admitted, I guess that um, Beverly Johnson's story made it real for them because they knew who she was. Right. And they knew her sort of in the same parasocial way as they knew Cosby and kind of like understood there's no reason why she would make this up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like super fucked up and revealing that they are revealing this, that they're like saying, you know, admitting publicly, implicitly that they were thinking that these other women had legit reasons to make stuff up you know like black men of stature have people who hate them and are going to try to take them down you know like all this other stuff that some of it is uh legitimate comes from a legitimate place of persecution and so, and like uh lack of access and lots of stuff like that but other is like misogyny you know uh, some of it is like uh rape culture patriarchal shit <laughs> you yeah. know and so then um i thought it was great for them to admit it because it's not a clean admission but it's important because yeah i mean they talked about like to think about that yeah like i mean there is good reason to suspect people that go after black men i mean like emmett till is part of american history you know and that shit happens all the fucking time so like it's not unreasonable i don't think to be like that but you do start when you like when Cosby is clearly guilty, like nobody's a denier about this anymore. So when you watch people kind of process this and tell a story, you do see like the DNA of the system that was holding him up, which is like, um, I don't, it's like a lot of people, you know, who don't realize that they're kind of using confirmation bias to support a thing. And they're not actually being that critical about it. And like, it made me think about a couple things. One of them is that when I was a kid, the OJ verdict happened in like when I was mm, in school yeah. and I went to school with all black people. And so like, I remember my white mom and my fucking kind of conservative Mexican dad at home watching the OJ trial and being like, man, mm-hmm. he's so fucking guilty and all this stuff. <laughs> but then I went to school and they took us out of class to watch the verdict. And I was like, it was one of those things where like I, everyone said one thing and I was about to say the other, like they said not guilty. And I was because just, I was going off my parents. I was about to yeah. be like, whoa that's bad everybody got up out of their chair and started cheering like, yeah! and stuff like that and i was like it took me yeah. a long time to really understand like uh-huh. wait are my parents wrong or is yeah. you know what's going on here and uh yeah. you know i started to understand eventually though like i mean i that like there are people who know he's guilty and still think it's like well and you know so it's great that he got off because how many white men have gotten off right fucking, yeah <laughs> and it's like that's a fucked up point but it's kind of a point but it's it, kind of a point yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's but true the other thing that made me think about though on a more personal level was how i when i was younger 
like, you know, I don't know, back in like 2015-ish or something like that, I didn't really think Louis did what he did because I wasn't like ever like he didn't do it, but I was very much like a, oh, it's complicated person when people ask me about it. And the reason he would always be like, what I would tell people is, um, you know, well, for one, if everyone knows this and nothing's happened, like, like clearly they're, if something happened to somebody, wouldn't they come out and say it? Which I'm like in retrospect realizing no, because of the power structure, like because of all the stuff that holds a person like that in place. Um, but I didn't really come to understand like how the Cosby, what the fuck? I think just, Oh, my headphones just went out. Uh, how the, I didn't really come to understand how the cause or how the, the Louis like situation was even structured until I just hung out with women who were comics and like matured a little bit as like a guy and was like able yeah. to stop listening to my dumb guy friends whose entire worldview is guy centric and stuff like that. And actually like have honest conversations, which is weird. Cause like as a guy, like often I'm like, you know, the person yelling at like some woman comic going, well, why don't you just talk about this stuff? And it's like, well, of course you can't. Cause you stick yeah. your neck out when you talk about this sort of stuff. So like, I totally, get i mean i'm not infallible you know what i mean i try to be critical but like i'm not i don't think anyone's stupid for being a piece in the puzzle around a person like this no no and i think it's actually awesome man i wish i could remember the dude's names because i think i follow one of them on twitter because he's a writer he writes uh about music and entertainment i want to say forget his name but anyway um i thought it was great that they revealed this because it is this like sort of cringy thing to admit in a in the way of like when people are like now that i have a daughter <laughs> you know maybe, like it took you having a daughter to realize you should not be like fingering drunk girls or whatever right. you know like, or, Fuck like it. every daughter. rapper is like oh you yeah. gotta stop calling women bitches because yeah. i have a daughter now it's like what exactly. have you ever met a woman in your life that you would just empathize with for the yeah, sake man. of being a person and so it sucks, but I do think that uh, we have to, like, okay, like, on the one hand, we have to make space. Ooh, I know that's corny to say, but we need to make space for, like, admitting our, the fallacy of our thinking, you know, because that's what will help other people realize the fallacy of their thinking, right? But on the other side of that, I also think that the people who are being criticized, like men, if you say something like, now that I have a daughter, I realize I shouldn't be calling women bitches or something like that. And the woman tells you it shouldn't have taken that for you to realize that that should not be taken to you as negative or by you as negative reinforcement. And like, I'm being canceled. And oh, my God, I can't ever say anything. No, you should fucking straight up take it like a man and be like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. I shouldn't have taken that. But unfortunately, it is what it took. And I'm going to do better <laughs> You know, and make sure that if I have a son they know that before I knew it, you know, like at an earlier age than I knew it. Yeah. It's not about being like, well, I wasn't a perfect ally, so I guess I can't be an ally at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? And no, yeah. none of us are perfect allies. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm a perfect ally to uh, queer um, LGBTQ people all the time or even people of color all the time. Um, but my intentions are good and I keep listening and I keep changing and trying to be better right it, it's never like oh okay i have i have reacted like shut the fuck up <laughs> but i have later thought about it and learned <laughs> um 
So I don't know. Oh, you know what I was going to tell you about the Cosby thing? Um, you know, it was weird and I didn't like, uh, and this is not on Kamau. I guess it's on all the people that were interviewed. Uh-huh. They all kind of conveniently put it on that one guy. Did you notice that? What one guy? Yeah, I can't hear you. What? Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. What yeah, one no, guy? Uh, Mike something, I want to say his name was, but basically he was like the guy that ran the set or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah that sounds like they were in denial. Yeah, and so like, you know, multiple people told stories about how he was the guy who came and got the woman and brought her to his fucking studio, his room. And then <clears throat> we hear things like um, the two actors, uh, Dookie and whatever his name is, and the other one, who were on the Cosby show, um, the one who's Angela's husband and whatever. So two of the like lesser characters in the Cosby show, one of them tells a story about how like they had a dressing room. They were on the cast, but they had a dressing, a tiny dressing room that they shared, the two of them. Yeah. And that one day, like they just show up to work and they're told that they don't have a dressing room, that they got to get dressed in this like closet. Because the dressing room that they usually use was given to a girl who was doing like a bit part. <laughs> yeah, she had like two lines. <laughs> yeah, and she gets her own dressing room. And so like all these things constantly kept happening all around. We're like every, you all know what's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not to say like, oh, everybody's guilty and you all hid stuff or anything. But uh, like for me, I can't specifically remember when I first heard about the Louis stuff. I can't, so I can't remember how I first reacted about it, but I think that I fucking shrugged it off, you know, like as a thing where like, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know if it happened or not, but yeah, probably. And like, that's how things are, <laughs> you know, like right. that's the Gen X side of me that is like, yeah, I've heard a lot of stories like this throughout the years in comedy. And since I've never like idolized any comedian, it wasn't like I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe a comedian would do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just was like, oh, I don't know. But, you know, what's interesting is so like in the Camaro documentary, they made a big deal about the fact that it was Hannibal Hannibal making like an offhand remark on stage about Cosby. Yeah, they got him. You know, they called it canceled, but really it just sparked conversation in a new generation by a new generation of a topic that had been in the public previously. <laughs> I, I talked it, to somebody about this who, yeah. like, was involved kind of in Hannibal's world at that point and was saying that uh, he had PR people. And basically, I think what happened is that he made that joke and then it went viral and yeah. then he realized he was going to be cast as someone doing cancel culture. Yeah. So they specifically, every interview, they were like, we are not going to use this word and like, don't play it yeah. like that. Which is why if you watch the interviews he does after that, he backs, he back treads like so totally. much. It goes like, listen, I mean, it was, I was just joking and I didn't want to yeah. like actually, you know, bring him down or whatever like which is insane because it's like no you should want to do that you're talking about a guy who raped yeah. 60 women like what do you mean but uh yeah so it is funny for you to be like oh i didn't mean to out him for raping 50 women yeah what the fuck's wrong <laughs> with like, you <laughs> yeah if anything you should be like good on me but you're right you're so right and so that's what's funny is that like uh he there's this weird thing where I think Hannibal was talking about something that is that was kind of sort of common knowledge inside and outside of comedy. 
in an offhand way. So I believe him when he says he wasn't like setting out to talk about this or to get justice for any of these women or any of that. It was not his plan. He was like off the hand talking about an older comic being a shitty person. Right. Yeah. Uh, or off the cuff. I mean. And, you know, then like Kamau, like they frame this as like this, like an example of how comedy like sparks change. And it did, but I don't think that it was through the intent of the comic. It happened to be that it was one of the moments in which a comic who is Hannibal's like my age, who was like talking about something that was like an accepted form of abuse in our industry, basically. Yeah. Right. Uh, because dude, we, we come entertainment industry is like. The place where the ca- the casting couch was invented as a trope, where like, you know, like all of it, it's fucking you sleep your way to the top, like the whole thing, the whole thing is rife with disgusting abuses of power. So I do think that it was a moment in which somebody who was like accustomed to this is how this industry is made an off the cuff moment, uh, off the cuff remark about it. And then it was heard by a bunch of people that he did not intend to hear it or didn't realize would hear it which was a whole younger generation for whom hearing things like oh my god he's drugging women and fucking them when they're asleep is an actual the actual alarm it should be (laughs) right yeah and they're like wait 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 how come i didn't know anything about this and then when they heard that there's like a bunch of us who actually did know a little bit about this they're like and what you didn't do anything about this so it revives this like interest in it and like pieces where people write and then the people who like for many years were like nobody gives a shit about my story are like okay well now somebody gives a shit (laughs) so they like tell their story and they come out and they do it so it's weird because I don't think it was uh, the power of the comedian. This story is not about the power of the comedian. Yeah, no, it is about the point. power of your of your words, you know, and of comedy itself, I guess, because you can just say something off the cuff it, with the intention to just be funny and spark off a bunch of uh, reaction that you did not intend. Well, I mean, I think it's also about how, like, the times are changing with technology is maybe, like, a part of this that was, like, kind of left out of the documentary, but is the thing that eventually caused enough, like, of a contradiction to be in place with having this well-known fact. Because, like, before the internet, you know, I mean, this is a thing you hear about in green rooms and stuff like that. And what do you do with a story you hear about in green rooms? You just tell it in other green rooms or whatever. But, like, this sort of became something that was so well-known that I feel like enough people who were in the situation of, like, actually wanting to do something about it or just wanting to, like, ally with people who have been victims of someone like this could just go online and find each other and what's really interesting about that is like uh because like i mean i i kind of call bullshit on everyone in this documentary who was making this point where they said like man how did we not see it with like the the spanish fly stuff or whatever what you're doing is sort of like psychologically mollifying yourself and like trying to kind of uh play down the fact that you know you did see it and you just were cynical about it it's not that you didn't care it's it's, i think cynicism is the fucking word it's like you thought nothing could be done and you certainly didn't want to be the person to stand out from the pack and do it themselves like um this is kind of reminded me of the thing with hannibal's kind of reminded me of like do you know the story of kitty genovese 
No, remind me. This is an old New York sociological story, but basically there's like some street corner in New York where a woman was being attacked and uh, she's like surrounded by people. Like there was tons of people uh, around like on this street corner. But like the fact that there were so many people around paralyzed all of the people into no one stepping forward to help the woman. And then she was like killed or something like that. So the phenomenon is like... Well, no one wants, everyone knows that someone should do something, but the fact that you're seeing other people not do something is like making you feel weird about being the person to, to do it, which I think is like kind of where Hannibal was coming from, where he's like suddenly realized like, oh no, I've put myself in this fucked up situation of having to be the person who like stands up for this thing. And I think he pussied out personally. Um, you know what's funny is that uh, season one of SVU many decades ago mm-hmm. includes an episode that dramatizes this. Oh, I bet. Uh, yeah, and you know who the woman is? She gets raped on the train, like literally on the train, and the people are like reading their newspapers and wearing headphones, and nobody helps her. Yeah. And uh, it's the lady from Mad TV, the blonde one. So it's funny because it's a comedian <laughs> getting raped <laughs> on a train. Sorry, that's not I, that's not why I'm laughing, but <laughs> because. <laughs> Uh, it all connects with everything that we're saying of this, like, nobody says anything. Uh, not Sherry O'Terry. What's her name? You know, the blonde one. Well, from Mad TV. Uh, yeah. fuck, I can't remember. I don't know. Um, I'll <laughs> later. But, um, yeah, no, I thought it was great and interesting and it connected, um, to a lot of different things about, um, even like the leftist comic thing that you were talking about, about like how much are people, um, how much are comics, who they really are on stage, right? And, um, you know, unfortunately, I don't think there's an easy answer because some are full caricatures or characters and are, like, fully conscious that they are characters and they're hiding themselves. You know, like a Jezelnik or, a, you know, other people that we know. Um, like Joe Para. Yeah. Uh, even, like, Sarah is uh doing that now yeah. uh and so it depends because like you know i wouldn't say does sarah's leftism come out in her comedy a little bit a um, little bit yeah she not doesn't get... yeah well i mean she has a joke she's sort of screaming about like why the fuck do i have to pay my landlord to live in my house and like that's <laughs> pretty overt <laughs> yeah. like a leftist take. yeah exactly okay yeah and i and i feel like she'll also like get more uh over as time goes on um but we have like an eddie pepitone you know like he totally is himself i think even though he is an exaggerated version of himself yeah so it could go either way it could go there could be comics who maybe do have leftist politics who you wouldn't know are contributing or participating in certain good things because their comedy doesn't show it. And then there are some that. I mean, I love Eddie Pepitone and he is like an overtly leftist comic in what he's talked about. He also did Skankfest. I know. So there's like (laughs) a lot of different permutations of this, this thing we're talking about. You can be a leftist comic with leftist politics. You could, uh, you could be a leftist comic with bad Paul. Poli- you know what I mean? Like your, your avatar is leftist. Yeah. Your po- actual politics yeah. are bad. You could be the other way around. Like there's just like a yeah. bunch of different ways this can play out. And I, don't, I don't know that looking for any exactly, exactly. pattern is really doing us any good, except I think exactly. that you can, I think that you could sketch out a, a, a bunch of like framework reasons for why 
generally people do not make it to the higher level of this thing with like leftist politics intact yeah. overtly at least you know every once in a while you have a celebrity who's like a mike mark ruffalo or something like that who's yeah. like kind of able to do it but like even those people often i think by nature of being so consumed in like their craft aren't particularly well read or anything and they make yeah. bad takes a lot of the times and stuff like that yeah. and it's just like a fantasy that you're gonna have like this artist who's like the vanguard within the realm of ideas yeah i think a lot and, of people- I, and I, I would say it also it can also go the other way where um there are people dude i would even say i know some who rightly so maybe dedicate most of their time and brain space and energy to um actual like political activity and activism and therefore their art suffers yeah totally they, they don't <laughs> put any time into it that's why i'm like i'm trying to <laughs> yeah. focus on comedy right now because i got yeah. this tour coming up because i'm like i have a bunch yeah. of books and i'm like looking at this and i'm like Wait a minute, I need to actually do comedy right now. Comedy, <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I was not subtweeting you right now. I was thinking of people we know, but uh, you know what I mean? So, like, it can it can go both ways, I guess, yeah. So I just um, think it's weird. Uh, I guess it, not to go back to, like, I guess, like, um, lit 101 type shit, but, like, um, it is a thing where, like, don't skip the preface on the book. <laughs> don't. Like read about the about the author part. <laughs> so with comics, I think it's the same thing. You do have to um, look for context. You know, like it's weird because I think with comics, regular people who like let's say only know like five comics names off the top of their head, they um, think of comedians as kind of like all interchangeable, and I should be able to put any one of them on, and it should make me laugh. Right? Yeah. But nobody thinks of music like that, right? Nobody thinks of, like, I should be able to put on any kind of music and I will automatically jam to it. (laughs) You know, like, you know that you like a certain kind, at least, and you want to narrow it down. And you know what you don't like. So I would say that um, with comics, it has to start with just even that amount of, like, knowing the genre, at least, of the type of comedy people do, number one. But then number two, go the extra mile of, like, getting the context of where they came from, how long they've been doing this why they are speaking about the things they're speaking about you know like i don't know i think it matters it, get, it like uh oh like the jeff foxworthy thing today was hilarious did you see that <laughs> yeah, shit yeah hell yeah oh my god it's so funny so you know he's doing his typical fucking conservative cancel culture shit you know these millennials are being weak so there's like screenshots going around the internet of him he's got a bit i guess <laughs> where he says some shit like oh these fucking kids getting trophies i don't know you could probably say the whole bit but it's some shit about fucking millennial kids getting trophies it's a hacky 35 now joke even (laughs) by conservative standards it's like a fucking 10 year old joke about exactly but it's basically about how he had to earn his own trophies or whatever because he's not privileged right yeah and then like somebody quote tweeted him and it's like uh jeff foxworthy's dad was an ibm executive and jeff's first job was at at his dad's office (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like beautiful beautiful context this is exactly what we need where it's like (laughs) think about why a person of this age and this level of success is peddling this kind of bullshit yeah because they believe it dude like look into the fucking context of what they're saying and why they're saying it and where they came from and then you'll realize that they're giving you a fucking spiel that they're just selling at. Right. And that's not a genuine, authentic persona to idolize in any way. I see how this relates to your PMC woes, because you're yeah. like the opposite of that. 
you're like, no, look at look at me and look at understand context. my yeah. context. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Worked really hard to I'm get here. Fucking pulling my hair out. Of <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I want to go back to something real quick. Um, mm-hmm. The that's something I guess I I thought about a lot when I was watching the Cosby documentary is like you're talking about all these people who worked on set who are saying like that they didn't know and they're they're kind of doing like the the stitch up thing with this like guy there's um there's a term in like conspiracies where like uh, it's called the limited hangout which is like when you kind of have a fall guy I guess or like mm-hmm. that's not limited hangout limited hangout is when um. Okay, this might actually be unrelated. Limited Hangout is when, like, um, a huge, like, Nixon-type thing gets uncovered, so they, like, let a certain amount of the story out, so that that's, um, that everyone freaks out about that, which keeps the rest of the story intact or whatever. But they also, uh, I think it's called Stitching Up. I don't know, I'm, like, fucking, uh, butchering these conspiracy theory terms. Somebody is very (laughs) mad at me on the internet right now listening to this, but... Um, but like the, having like a patsy, like a fall guy kind of I, in, ideologically for this, um, everyone going, oh, that one guy must be the one who knew. And yeah. therefore the story is that the rest of us didn't know is I think like yes. kind of an oversimplification because like those people, I think I, it, in my experience dealing with people who are like around charismatic people, like in comedy and also are working for them and stuff like that. I think what's going on in the minds of those people is not that they knew and that they're lying. It's that they were lying to themselves. Like they totally. wanted to believe that there was no reason that they came to work that day and their dressing room was a closet and there was some yeah. hot fucking extra lady using their dressing room. Like it, it's something if you're making all your money off this sort of stuff. You can see how, like, you start just using confirmation bias and stuff like that. The same way those guys are talking about the fact that they did not want to believe a black guy actually did all this stuff because, like, you know, there's just, like, the truth is just a, it's a very, like, fickle kind of hard to pin down thing. Like, people really do live in whatever reality they choose to live in, depending on what benefits them and makes them, like, comfortable and stuff like that. So, like, that's kind of the takeaway here. Like there's one person yeah. they interviewed who, who explained this and she said like, yeah. it's a power structure. We're all relying on this to eat. So that's mm-hmm. why no one wants to like knock over this fucking house of cards. Totally. That I think is what's going on with a lot of the deranged yeah. emails I get and stuff from people who have like come up with all these weird stories about me. Cause like what you, in doing this, you have to defend the whole system from anyone who would call it out. And then that's how you end the up in this. The house of cards would fall. Yeah. You lose your job. So yeah. that's how you end up in this like victim blaming sort of thing where mm-hmm. you're like, Anyone who would say that is just jealous and is like trying to get or, something. Or saying things like, "Well, the that actress put herself in that position. She should have known better than to take that role with Cosby." We all have heard, you know, she chose to do it. So even like when they start blaming and saying, you know, okay, like things like the acting uh, couch. What is it? The casting couch. Casting couch. You know, it's a real strange rapey trope. Jake, because the trope, um, you know, through the 70s, 80s and 90s, I think was like framed as like very like (laughs) Uh, it's something that like some sleazy ladies are willing to go this direction to succeed, which is to sleep their way to the top. Right. But they're within that category, like subsuming the women who 
didn't walk into that casting room with that intention and were actually harassed or uh, forcefully, you know, put upon or drugged like Cosby did um, and didn't at all think that they had to uh, like put up with abuse in order to do their job. And the fact even that there were women who were like, yeah, I will suck this director's dick to get a part or whatever. Even that, how is that not sex work? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that is yeah. still a survival mechanism. Kind of like, how do I, what do I trade upon in order to move ahead in this industry? And that's what I think, like when we talk about like rape culture, I think it's like much more important than assigning blame to a particular person like that Mike guy. You know what I mean? That's what I thought was lacking. Or And, you know, they did kind of talk about it. But in like focusing so much on this Mike guy, it made it like you're you're taking attention away from the fact that it is an environment, a cultural environment that makes us all think it is okay for women to be victimized or to be put in positions where they have to trade on their sex or their body or their safety in order to survive or move forward or have success. And the rest of us then also depend on this house of cards. So we are not going to say anything about it. That's what we should be talking about. Not that this one dead guy fucking used to walk the girl to his dressing room. You know what I mean? Who gives a fuck? He's fucking dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's talk about how we all fucking, you know, like, um, I, I honestly, I often think about Sarah Silverman after the Louis C.K. thing. Uh, she's a couple of years older than me, a few years older than me, maybe. And she, it was crazy, Jay, because do you remember what she said after the Louis C.K. shit came out? Oh, uh, which one? She said a bunch of crazy shit, right? Yeah, she said a bunch of crazy shit. But <laughs> one of the crazy things was that. She basically, I think on a podcast, said that, like, Louis one time did that to her, you know, and she just laughed it off. And oh, yeah, yeah. Was like, what do you mean he did that to you? And she was like, yeah, you know, he would do this thing where he would, like, take out his dick when you weren't looking and, like, put it on your shoulder, right? And here's the thing, man. Ugh, I did grow up in a way with boys where I played around with boys in a shitty way, I guess. Yeah. Right? I have friends who did stuff like this, and I like yeah everyone man, just laughs at shit. it and shit. yeah they pull their balls out of their zippers <laughs> you know like shit like that i don't I, know i was watching jackass the new yeah. jackass movie and i was thinking yeah. about this and i was like someone could make someone could construct a take online that is like everyone likes this and everyone is also yelling about louis ck and like those two things are kind of incongruent if you don't specifically get into the rape culture and like i think also yeah. more importantly the consent. This is kind of an idea I've been kicking around in my head. Yeah. Is uh, maybe this is even something I can write in my act. I'm not sure. Here's a, here's a concept I just came up with. Jackass. The cons consent uh, is what makes a jackass sketch like a funny thing that happened and not the worst thing of all time. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like yeah. it's crazy how one concept switches your friend putting his dick on your shoulder from a joke to like a this horrible Abuse. thing yeah. yeah exactly yeah exactly and so that's the thing is that when sarah silverman said that i fucking identified with her you know as like ah oh, i get it i also have had shitty friends that we like make shitty jokes across the line in a lot of different ways right however i think i know better than to in the aftermath of 
women coming out and saying, not only did he do this to me against my will, but he is my superior in my, you know, not my direct peer. We're not friends. We're in a work environment at a festival. I was not allowed to leave the space like all of this and then come out with like, oh, well, I didn't it didn't bother me when he did it. That is totally inappropriate because. I guess what I'm saying is like it, it troubled me a lot because it made me think about does that mean that any time that I ever laughed at a joke that I did think was funny, I'm not talking about laughed off something gross. I'm talking about, or like something that bothered me. I'm talking about like, I thought it was funny. I was laughing with my friends, but again, because of that consent thing where because ex friend did this with me and we all laughed, I don't think that he should then take that as permission meaning that he can do this to any other woman. Right. Right. And I am not underwriting that. And I wouldn't have thought that Sarah Silverman was underwriting that either until you then come out with this defense publicly or this point of view. This is a shut the fuck up moment. Right. Yeah. Because it didn't offend you because maybe the intent and the context and the power structure was not there between you and him when this happened, the same physical action happened but it was for these other women so i don't know it is this kind of stuff i guess we're getting into the 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 whole area of just like the uncomfortable nuance of recognizing where we ourselves have like have internalized patriarchal shit rapey shit um i i think maybe like to maybe defend sarah silverman a little bit here Cause I know, and me, because I'm saying I'm like her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comedians, defend us. Defend us, Jake. <laughs> comedians hop on the mic and they just philosophize. You know, yeah. they go, I have a thing that's stimulating my brain, a take on this. Let's just follow it and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. I think maybe she didn't arrive at this, but maybe this is where she was going, which is that it is kind of important for her to point out that this thing happened in a way that didn't bother her, which sh- is illustrates the fact that these things rely on situations like this where it doesn't bother someone to then happen on to someone else. Yeah. You know, like it, it's something yeah. that we do kind of need to look at and go, this is interesting. Um, that there are possible, you know, other aspects of this story. Like, you know, maybe the guy is going around and he's got so many people that are okay with this happening that he's doing it fucking willy nilly to everyone. And then it, you end up with a situation where he does hurt someone and he doesn't even know that he's hurting them. And that is actually rape culture, right? That's like, why does this person, cause like no one is like, this is why I'm like a humanist and I'm like, no one is like intentionally super evil. Like a lot of this stuff is happening on accident. You know what I mean? A lot of times when you hurt somebody, you don't know that you did it. Like rape statistics are like that. There's way more, uh, actual rapes that happen in the world than there are guys who like self-identify as having done them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. like, I think it. I think it's. I. I don't. I think that's a good like way to look at what she's saying. I think it sucks if what she actually was saying was he's my friend and he does this to me, which means it's fine when he does it to somebody else. But I don't think that's what she was saying. Maybe it was. I don't think it was her intent. It's just that's how she said it. Yeah. (laughs) It it was just how she said it, but I I don't think that she would like defend it this way. I like her. You know, I think we are of a similar generation, even though she's more decidedly firmly Gen X than I am. 
Um, but it is the kind of thing just to like put it out there in the same way as these dudes thinking about how like they didn't really believe it until a black woman that they knew uh, said it something about it. Um, because Sarah Silverman is a comic I liked and enjoyed and I guess looked up to in some way, it was jarring to hear her say something like that because it reminded me of my own way that I've laughed off things that didn't really bother me, but that that doesn't mean that I would say it's okay for you to go do this to anyone else, you know what I mean? Or like say that slur in front of anyone else or like, I don't know. Um, So yeah, I think it's good. It's good when uh, public voices both make mistakes in the way that they are formulating the the way that they see the world and also when they publicly admit that they weren't using the best logic like these guys did in this um documentary yeah it helps us it helps us all like really get to the truth of our internalized bad ideas yeah i think it also like it's important to keep this subjectivity of experience in mind because like comedians are always reinforcing this worldview of like something is justifiable if it is funny if it's funny <laughs> because funny is like some sort of like barometer for truth like it's like this magic like it's beauty <laughs> if it was funny to one person that it is qua- it's like past the alchemy <laughs> test and it's gold or whatever and it's therefore the- but that's like an insane way that extrapolates, I think, to a worldview that helps keep you in the fucking death cult of comedy, which is like yeah. all things can be considered like excusable if there I can find one example of a person who says it's okay, which is why people are always like, you know, making these fucking horrible tokenizing arguments and saying, well, I found a black person who agrees with me about this, or I found a woman who does, so therefore <laughs> it's I fucking you true. Something it's- hilarious. On the internet, people are now uh, referring to that as the Dave Chappelle defense. <laughs> oh, that's Isn't so that funny. fucking hilarious? Yeah. <laughs> I want all comics to know like how bad you can fuck up your legacy. That <laughs> you can go from like one of the greatest to ever do it to like there are people who currently refer to uh, tokenism to using uh, I have a black friend, therefore I can say X or I have a trans friend, therefore I can do Y. As the Dave Chappelle excuse. That's so funny. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was like, oh my God, no way. And then it's like a thing. Google it, people. Um, Man. It's pretty funny. This is also why there's no leftist comedians, because like that's what happens the richer you You'll get. You'll get roasted, yeah. It's like you... <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah, you... Well, no, you just you, succumb you, to you like... You your shit, yeah. Well, you just believe whatever you want to believe, yeah. which benefits you. You don't really challenge yourself. So you end up as a person like Dave yeah. Chappelle, who's just like... um you know, anything that reinforces my worldview is the thing I'm going to swing at you. It's so, I mean, to be a leftist and be rich and famous is a contradiction. You would have to constantly be like, be uh, like, Uh I shouldn't be up here. You know, you agree with me about Hassan. No, I'm just kidding. kidding. Nobody write an email. Love you so much. Goodbye. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Anything else? Um, This is enough. No, this is enough. This is an episode. Do you want to do, uh, well, we'll talk about this after. Goodbye, everyone. Have a nice, oh, can I tell you some good news? I guess I can do a plug. Ooh. Oh, it's pretty early to do a plug, but I guess I might as well let out the news. Um, I am starting a new show, Jake. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. 
Yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, I got an offer I couldn't refuse. And it's uh, pretty sweet because we're just going to do a monthly uh, starting in April. And then in July, it'll become twice a month. And I love this part time, just like a sweet one show with very little spots to book. It's going to be great. Um, So it's going to be it's going to be called The Clinic, hosted by Gary Goldman. Nice. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be in Williamsburg at Baby's All Right. Um, It's going to be once a month Mondays, but then in July will be twice a month on Tuesdays and uh, 8 p.m. It's going to be like 10 bucks. And what we're going to do is Gary's going to do long sets and host. And we're going to have about three or so comics on some newish, some drop ins, you know, fun stuff. Uh, it'll totally be worth your time. And if you're in New York, so keep an eye out for that. Nice. I love it. He's the best. Yeah. Yeah. He's really exciting. And um, whatever. I don't want to put his private business out there, but let's just say good politics. Good politics. Oh, interesting. Yeah, does uh, walks walks the line, walks the talk. Oh, all right. We'll have yeah. to add them into that list. Although, if your politics are private, are they that good? No, they're pretty public. You know, uh, you know, he's got a really good bit going on right now where he makes fun of Seinfeld for the whole time. And That's I pretty cool. Love it so much, it's really good. Yeah, for being a rich guy, it's great. All right. Uh, but anyway, what do you got to plug? Oh, you're not going on tour yet. I bought my tickets. Did I tell you? Yeah, I bought my tickets to go see you uh, with Eve Six. Nice. I'm that- very excited about that. That's one of my plugs. Uh, I'm on tour with Eve Six and We Are the Union, um, April, mid April to mid May, all over the country, here in New York at La Poison Rouge, um, and also everywhere else. Uh, we're starting in Austin, Texas at the Mohawk. Um, I also, my show, Meat Space, is still happening, but it's going to be guest hosted by our friend Gabe Pacheco on the 19th of April. Ooh. At, at the gutter nyc in williamsburg and uh it's also going to be happening again while i'm on tour it's happening twice while i'm on tour unfortunately but fortunately for you if you want to go see our friends um the other one's the 17th of may it'll be hosted by our friend trey galleon and a bunch of other comics that i like will be there you should go to my show even though i'm not there because it is a good comedy show um but yeah, come see I'll me. be there. You can bring me your notes and gifts for Jake, and I will bring them to him. Maybe I'll Skype in or something. Destroying <laughs> the premise of Meat Space. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Pod Damn America, my other podcast, and that's pretty much it. All right. Bye. Bye. Rec-